Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. If you were in a military force representing, say, a kingdom, and let's say you were facing an enemy, and that enemy was very smart, that enemy was very powerful, that enemy was, was very cunning and deceitful, and that enemy had a vast array of weapons directed toward you and toward those that you stand for. If you had that sort of situation, if you were facing that sort of situation, and the person commanding that military force you were a part of said, I am giving you a weapon, and this weapon is more powerful than you can possibly imagine. This weapon requires training, though. It requires practice. It requires care. It requires thought. But it is one of the most powerful weapons at your disposal to fight and defeat the enemy. I think we would be glad to receive that weapon. I think we would say, yes, please give me that weapon. What if I also told you that your enemy was well acquainted with this weapon and knew the threat that this weapon posed and that your enemy would love to get some saboteurs in the ranks to let you know, no, uh, that weapon you shouldn't really be using it. That weapon's really not that important. That weapon's really not that powerful. Here, here are some other weapons that you can use instead of that weapon or in addition to that weapon that, that are really just as good. If we knew that was the situation, number one, I hope that we would latch on to that weapon and say, yes, I want to use that. I hope that we would say, I'm not going to listen to lies of the enemy when the enemy tells me that this weapon is too complicated or too difficult or only to, it's only to be used for the, with the elite. What I'm describing right now may seem hypothetical, but what I'm describing right now is very much the issue with prayer in many churches today. It is a weapon that has been given to us to do warfare. It is a weapon that has been given to us by God, and it does require practice, and it requires training. It requires careful thought. It requires careful use. But the enemy has told us the lie, knowing knowing how powerful prayer is. You ever consider that Satan knows in some ways better than us the power of prayer because he's had to contend with it for a whole lot longer than we've been doing it in our lifespan? So Satan understands this is a powerful tool. So he will do whatever he can to keep God's people from praying. Oh, that's just for the super spiritual people. Oh, it's going to take too much time. Oh, I can't, you know, you can't really concentrate when, I, when you pray. Oh, maybe you could just do a little bitty tiny short prayer and just say the same prayer again and again and again. Oh, it really doesn't matter. You know I mean, prayer really, really doesn't do anything. Prayer, I mean, if God's going to do what God's going to do, why pray? All of these objections to prayer. Now, I just want to go ahead and say, even though the words sound similar and even though the argument could be made, well, Dustin, you're saying exactly the same thing, just in a different way. I want us to, in our minds at least, draw a line between a church that prays and a church of prayer. 
a, a church that just goes through the motions of prayer and, and does it as, well, yeah, that's a given, but a church of prayer where it characterizes you. It characterizes the church. It characterizes the people of God. It's a little bit like the difference in a family or an individual who goes to worship service versus a family of worshipers. There's a difference. A family of worshipers. Do you come, do you just, I'm, I went to service or did you worship? That's the real question. So if you're just going to service, we say, well, that counts for something. Uh, I had a, a lady when I first moved here, uh, she was at a different church and uh, we were all talking and she was talking about how things go in the church and she was talking about her congregation and some of the issues and some of the things and she was saying that some of the things the pastor had said and she said and our pastor says that sometimes people sleep during service and I said well we have people sleep during service and she said but I'll tell you like I told him just be glad they're there I was like well you can nap anywhere ma'am all right. For goodness sake, just be glad they're there. She said, well, it's better that they're there than if they were somewhere else. Oh, a nap is a nap. I mean, come on. Let's be honest, right? But you find that sometimes people just show up, but they don't really engage in worship. Well, I mean, you know, there's an issue going on there. And it's the same thing with prayer. Sometimes we say the words of prayer, but we're really not people of prayer. We need to be individuals of prayer, not just a person who prays, but a person of prayer. And so this morning we're starting a four-week series, four Sundays, and we're going, to, we're going to be looking at prayer. Now, this is not an exhaustive study. Sure, by the end of these four Sundays together, there will be things that we didn't say about prayer that we could have said because prayer is one of those subjects we could just go on and 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 learn about prayer and talk about prayer. But I just want us to highlight some things about prayer. Now, I know some of you are saying, what on earth then is the 21? Why are we calling this the 21? Because starting tomorrow morning, or tomorrow at some point in time, I say tomorrow morning, starting at tomorrow at some point in time, you'll be getting an email, all right? And that email will have some prayer prompts for the day. And we'll be doing that for 21 days. And we as a church will be praying for certain things, focused on certain things of prayer for the next 21 days leading into our new church year. And that's why we're calling it the 21. And I just want you to know, we're very serious about prayer here. It was one of the commitments that I made to you as a church whenever I became your lead pastor. I said, I I did a sermon. And I said, there are three things that I believe that God has led me to focus upon. One is that we're to be a people of the word. Number two, we're to be a people of prayer. And number three, we're to be a people of boldness. Boldness for God, letting him be, making him known. And so I said, those are the three things. And those are three things that if you've been around for very long, you've noticed those three things that we focus on those three things, not to the exclusion of other things, but those are three things that we want to see as a church, that we become a people of the word, that we love the word of God, that we know the word of God, that you are taught the word of God, that you grow by the word of God. And that's one of the things that we're focused upon. And so, and and we want to be a people of prayer. Starting around 2019, the beginning of the year, we began to have prayer time every Sunday night. And we did that without, with the exception of a few special events or special occurrences. We had prayer time every Sunday night, even through the pandemic. Every Sunday night, 
uh, the staff, we met out there in the fellowship hall and we had turned the cameras on and we did a live stream of our prayer time. And so we prayed and we prayed and we prayed some more. We're serious about prayer. Uh, in fact, uh, Sonia Foster has launched numerous prayer initiatives here. She's our connecting and serving director. And if you go out this door and go down that hall and go all the way down to the end of the hall, as far as you can go and take a left, we have our prayer room. Now, I know in the past we had a prayer room, and it was the conference room. And I've heard over the years people say, well, things just weren't the same after that prayer room was made into a conference room. Now, let's be honest. That was before my time, all right? But I ask around. Y'all, the prayer room was neglected long before it became a conference room. And that was the reason it became a conference room. Because the prayer room was gathering cobwebs it wasn't being used now am i saying you have to be in a prayer room in order to pray absolutely not but i just want you to know we have made a room very conducive to prayer there are books in there you can grab and you can take home and you can check them out you don't have to fill out anything just take it home bring it back when you get done books on prayer if you love it keep it and you can and we have our prayer list in there we have we have we have designed the room to make it the most conducive place that we can here on the campus to usher you into the presence of God so that you can have a place where you can go and you can pray. And, and so I just want you to know it's there, it's available, and you can use our prayer room at any time. I encourage you to use our prayer room. Go check it out after service. Just walk down the hall. Go down there. Check out the prayer room. If you, if you have any questions, you can get with Sonia Foster, S. Foster, all lowercase, S. Foster, at easthaven.net. Send her an email. Call us at the church. We'd love to get you plugged in. What I'm saying is that we want to be a people of prayer. So as we enter into this this series about prayer, I just wanted us to look at the idea of why do we pray? Why pray anyway? I've had people ask me that over the years. Well, if God's going to do what God's going to do, then why do we even pray? Or I don't feel like my prayers are being answered. Why should I keep praying? So I'll just give you a little map, a little layout of how this is going to flow. Today we're going to talk about why do we pray? Next week, we're going to look, about, look at our priorities in praying. What do we prioritize as we pray? The week after that, we're going to talk about what do, you, what do you do when you feel like giving up? How do you persevere in prayer? And how do you deal with those prayers that you pray and you pray and you pray and you don't seem to get an answer? And then finally, we're going to talk about revival in prayer and how that is connected. But today, I want us to look at the idea of why do we pray? And I just want to look at some biblical reasons why we pray. First of all, we respond to the command from God and a desire of God. Now you say, that sounds like a weird wording. God commands prayer. But the reason God commands prayer is because God desires us to pray. Every time you see God command something, it's not because God is sitting on his throne, looking at his people and saying, Oh, I'm going to make this hard on them. I'm going to add an extra step. I'm going to make this difficult. No, God is not giving us commands to make things difficult for us. God gives commands because God desires those things. He desires those things to be seen. That's why whenever we go into prayer and we'll say something like this, well, I'm going to pray because I have to. Now, wait a minute. That's the wrong way to approach prayer. 
God desires his people to pray. I want to do what God desires. And when God gives a command, the command is for our good. It's for his glory. And so when he gives a command, it's not only a command that he gives, but it's a desire he has. Listen to Colossians 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue in prayer. Don't stop. That's a command. Don't give up. Now, three weeks from now, two weeks from now, two Sunday, three Sundays from now, two weeks from now, we'll be talking about continuing in prayer. But how about 1 Thessalonians 5, 17? Pray without ceasing. Now we say, how do I pray without ceasing? That's a hard thing to do. If I'm driving, am I supposed to bow my head, close my eyes, and start praying? No, don't. Because if you do, that's bad, right? Um, don't close your eyes and do that while you're, while you're driving. Pray while you're driving. Just don't close your eyes. All right. But pray without ceasing. That means we are to live in an attitude of prayer, recognizing that we can call on God at any point in time. God is reachable at any moment in time. And that we can offer prayer to him all the time. And our, our heart attitude is just an attitude of prayer. Why? Because God desires prayer. And since he desires prayer, he commands prayer. The the number of times that I think about how we have told people, we'll say something like this. They'll come to us. They'll come to us with a problem. And we will say, I'll pray for you. And then you know what we do? We never pray for them. We never pray for them. Do you know one of the things that that I try to do? Uh, I try very diligently if someone says, hey, will you pray about this? I try if if it's available at that moment, just say, hey, let's just pray right now. And then I add them to my prayer list. Listen, keep a prayer list. Keep a prayer journal. I have a list of things that I have prayed for. And out beside many of them, I've got dates. Dates where I started praying. And I've got dates where God answered. And you want to bless your heart. Look back over the list of things that God has answered through the years. The list of prayers that you have voiced and God has shown up and answered. God desires us to pray. So therefore, he commands us to pray. Secondly, why do we pray? We learn to trust God and live in his peace. We learn to trust God and live in his peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Well, that's a blanket statement. Don't be anxious about anything. God doesn't say, be anxious about a few things, but these things don't be anxious about. No, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice that as we pray, God gives us his peace. Now, and I'm going to say something that might upset a few of you. Notice what it doesn't say. It does not say God always immediately gives an answer. Sometimes he gives his peace. And his peace, can I tell you, is enough. Now, I know sometimes people say, well, sometimes God doesn't answer prayer. Well, God answers all prayer. He either says yes or he says no. (laughs) No is an answer. Parents, you understand this, right? You know, you know if, if your child asks for something, you say no. And they say, well, that's not an answer. Uh, yeah, it's an answer. It's, an, it's, just, it's just a no. But God, God often, he'll say yes to prayer. 
God may say no to certain requests, and God also may say, wait a while. Have you ever had God tell you that? Wait a while? I've had that in my prayer life at times. I pray for something and God just says, wait. And then I wait, and you've heard me say this. Later on, I realized that I don't want what I've been praying for. That's not the best thing. You ever try to pray a prayer to retract a prayer? God, whatever it is that we need to do to nullify what I pray for, uh, now, given more information, uh, let's not, I don't want to, and God's not going to do that. But the idea, the idea that we can trust God and live in his peace. Notice what Paul writes here in Philippians that God gives. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. You go back to John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Notice what Jesus says. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but my peace I give to you. Now let's just think about this for a moment. How at peace is Jesus? He's perfectly at peace. He's completely and totally perfectly at peace. He's at peace with the plans of his heavenly father. He's at peace with the plans that is moving the mission ahead. He is at total peace. And so then Jesus says, not as the world gives their version of peace. No, I'm giving you my peace. So that means that the peace that we receive from God is the peace that Jesus himself has. And how is that accessible? Paul writes there in Philippians, through prayer. Let not, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We learn to trust God and live in his peace. That's an important thing we have to understand. We just live in the peace of God, that God has got it, that God's going to handle it, that God is in control. One of the most powerful principles of prayer that I ever learned transform my whole prayer life a while back was this that god has chosen to limit his working in certain times and in certain ways to prayer when james writes you have not because you ask not and he goes on and we'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks but you have not because you ask not because god has chosen to limit some of his particular workings to prayer now understand what i mean by that that means God works in the praying. Your prayers matter because God is working in the prayer. That's the biblical principle. It's not just I'm saying a prayer, okay, and now, now comes the hard work. No, prayer is the work, and God has chosen to work through that. I mentioned that here recently. Somebody said, that makes no sense. I said, well, think about it like the gospel. God has chosen specifically that it is by the preaching of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death in our place on the cross because we are sinners. We are separated from God. Jesus dies on the cross in our place. And if we receive that, we receive that sacrifice that he made and we say, yes, I need that applied to my life. God, forgive me and I surrender to you. Save me, transform me, change me. I'm yours. Then God does that. And it's by that message that people are saved. 
They don't get saved any other way. It's by the gospel. And in the same way, God has limited his working in certain ways and in certain times to prayer. It's not going to happen unless people pray. That's why it's important when we say, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. Why should I pray? Because God has ordained that he will work through prayer. That's why your prayers matter. That's why your prayers for your church matters. That's why your prayers for your family matters. Your prayers matter because God works in the praying. Next, why do we pray? We seek God's will and surrender our lives to his plans. Now, listen to 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. A lot of times we throw this verse out. And by throw it out, I don't mean we, we dismiss it. I just mean we throw this out as a blanket, kind of blank check statement. This is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And I've had people come to me and say, the Bible says I can ask anything. Yes, according to his will. According to his will, right? Which is the same idea in John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, I, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. A friend of mine one time said, well, what does it mean in your name? It just means that you tag in your name on it. You ask Jesus to say in your name and now he's got to do it. That's not what that means. It means you're asking him to do his will for his purposes, by his power, for his glory. To display his character in doing that. That's what you're asking. Which is why we get to John 15. Now, this ties all of this together. John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Notice what Jesus says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. What are we to gather from this? Through prayer, we surrender to the will of God. We surrender our lives to his plan, but we need to know his plan, at least in part, in order to do that. How do we know his plan? From his word. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Let me explain it a different way. Sometimes, we can get really mixed up when it comes to praying scripture. Now, I, you, I love praying scripture. You should pray scripture. And there, there's, there's a, a growing movement. And I, I've had some people talk to me, uh, nobody here, but I've had people talk to me over the years. And they'll say something like this. Well, all you have to do is just go through the Bible, find, figure out what you want, figure out what you want to happen, and then go through the Bible, find yourself a verse that talks about something like that. And then just call out God and say, God, this is what you say. Now you have to do that because now I've brought up what you have said uh, because it matches what I want. And then you sort of twist God's arm and try to get to God to do something. Can I just tell you, that's not how prayer works. That's not how God works. The idea is this. Let's say you're facing a situation. Let's say you're facing a situation at work. Let's just give you an example. You're facing a situation at work. There's a lot of turmoil going on. All right. What are some things that you know are God's will? We say, well, I don't know what God's will. I don't know what God's will is for this situation. No, 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 no. There are some things you know. You know that God wants his peace to reign in that situation in your heart. You know that from what we just read. So what do you do? 
Pray, God, I know that your will from your word is that I will have peace in my heart that comes from Christ in the middle of this situation. I am asking you to grant me your peace. What are you doing? You're praying God's word, but you're praying his will. Why do you know it's his will? Because he said it's his will. God, I'm praying that you would help me to be a peacemaker in this situation. How do you know that's God's will? Blessed are the peacemakers. You know that's God's will because he says that. Now, that's not just reaching. That's what it says. God, I know that you want to be seen in this situation. You want to reveal your glory in this situation because you want to do everything for your glory. And you want me, everything that I do, whatever I eat, whatever I drink, whatever I do, you want me to do it for your glory. And so, God, I I, I want your glory to be seen in this situation. Now, there are three things, very simply, that you've already prayed regarding the will of God for that particular situation. And you can just go on and on and on. God, if this person doesn't know Christ, I pray that through this you would provide an opportunity so that I might be able to show them Jesus in some shape, form, or fashion. Why? That's the God's will. So you pray God's will. And what does God do? God responds according to his will. It's pretty simple. But it requires us to know his word. It's sort of like, it's like um, the weapon thing we talked about earlier. It's kind of like having a weapon but, but not knowing where the ammo is. I've got this weapon, but you don't have any ammo. This is, this is God's word. When you go into God's word and you read God's word, and you saturate your mind with God's word, and then you start to align your life with God's word. And then you know what you find? You start praying in the right way. You ever do this? Have you ever started praying with the wrong motives? And then before you got done with your prayer, God has fixed your motives and you're praying with the right motives because God has to deal with you in order to get you to the place where you, play, you pray with the right motive. You, you, you pray and you see what God will do. You keep praying. And I know sometimes I've talked to people and they're like, well, I just, what do I do when I don't feel like praying? You pray until you do. That's what you do. Pray until you do feel like praying. Because God knows, God has given it to us because it's powerful. And Satan knows that it's powerful. He'll do everything he can to distract you, to dissuade you, or try to convince you that it's worthless and it's useless and it's hopeless. He'll do it. He'll do it. We ask God's will and we surrender our lives to his plans. This is why we find in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, we'll talk more about this next week. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's in the Lord's prayer. The only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them. You ever notice that? They don't say, hey, Jesus, give us a one-on-one on demon casting. No. Jesus, uh, teach us this walking on water thing. I think it'd be a really great party trick. No, no. Jesus, master, teacher, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And notice what Jesus says in the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's that saying? Your will be done, God. Your will be done, Father, here on earth, just as it is done in heaven. Let me ask this. God's on his throne, angels all around, and God, sa- God gives a command. Do you think the angels sit around and go, hmm, I don't know about that. I mean, we might do that, but we need to have an angel huddle and discuss this, Lord, before we carry out this decree. No, God says it, and it's done. It, it is done. It is accomplished. So Jesus is saying, pray that God's will is perfectly accomplished here on earth just as it is in heaven. 
Pray that the response is that quick. Pray that we respond to God as quickly as we would were we in his presence in the heavenly throne room. We surrender our will. We surrender our lives to his plan. Second, or fourthly, thirdly, number four, we, we ask for and receive spiritual wisdom through prayer. Some of you have come to me and some of you ask, and some of you think that I'm just, I'm just saying the same old, same old. I truly mean it. Some of you ask often, how can we pray for you? And I always tell you, the number one thing you can pray for me is for wisdom. Pray that I will have wisdom, spiritual wisdom, wisdom that comes, doesn't come from a book. Wisdom doesn't come from best practices. Wisdom doesn't come from my own heart or my own mind, but God's wisdom. And I've been praying that for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And, and, and because I read this passage in James 1, remember when I was a kid, I read this passage, James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. That's one of the few places in the Bible that God says, if you do this, if you ask, I will give you this specific. And he says that about wisdom. The Jewish understanding of this is skilled living, how to live with skill according to God's word. And so if any of you ever ask, that's one of the things I ask for, wisdom. And then I always follow that with something, but pray for wisdom. Pray for my wisdom. I, I, before I preach, uh, I, was, I was mentioning to the staff the other day, I said, you know, uh, God really kind of convicted me a few months back and, and just really convicted me that I needed to spend more time in preparing, caring for and preparing the sermons. Now, I just want you to know, I usually spent about a week and a half working on a sermon, praying over it, thinking through it and everything, usually no less than a week and a half. So now I've been able to back up and I, I organize the schedule. So it's no less than three weeks right now. There may be some that, that fall a little shorter, but no less than three weeks. And you know what I do most of that time? I read the text over and over again and I pray and I pray and it, and it, and I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep that text with me. And at random moments, when I have a random moment, I'll have it on my phone, random moment. I'll be in the Walmart checkout line. I'll be looking at that. I'll be looking at that text and just pray, God, show me, show me, show me what you want from your word. Show me what you want me. Show me what you, the truth. Show me how transform my life by this. Help me communicate this. And, and God has blessed that. God has answered that. And, and so we, we, we go again and again before God. We say, God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom. God, give me guidance. God, give me direction. And God says that he gives it. Now, here's what we have to be careful. We have to be careful about going toward the wrong kind of wisdom. Because we can. It's going to hold up. Don't worry. Roof's fine. I look forward to the spiritual rains that are coming. That's what I'm praying for. Whenever we approach God's wisdom, one of the things that we have to understand is that James records, there's the wrong kind of wisdom at times. Listen to James chapter three, verse 15. You have the wisdom that comes from above, this wisdom that we're asking for in James 1, 5, but in James chapter three, verse 15, he says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You find that the wrong kind of wisdom, notice it's not just, it's not just unfruitful. James says it's far more dangerous than that. It is earthly it is unspiritual. And then he says, it's demonic. If I'm not operating by God's wisdom, I'm operating by a demonic wisdom. Notice what the characterization of this demonic wisdom is. He says, where there jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. All sorts of disunity, all sorts of backbiting, all sorts of complaining, all sorts of negativity, all sorts of all that will be going on where, is there, where there is this demonic wisdom. But notice what he says about the wisdom from above. It's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So we want to have the right kind of wisdom. So you pray that God will give you the right kind of wisdom. And according to the Bible, he does. Now, does that mean that, understand, does that mean that God just says, all right, I'm going to leave you exactly the same way as you are, except now you're just going to be wise. No, that wisdom will transform you. God's wisdom will transform you more and more into the likeness of Christ. And so if that's not happening and you don't see that growth, can I just tell you, that's not wisdom. It's not real wisdom if you're not being developed more and more in the likeness of Christ. It's not wisdom if you're not growing in God's word and God's and love for God and, and, and growing toward unity. There's, it's an immature wisdom or demonic wisdom at worst. I, can I just tell you, and I wrote about this on my blog uh, over the last, in the last little while. Um, what I have never, I have never had to referee two people within the church arguing with each other and, and it continued. Like there was never a peace made where both people were exercising mature wisdom. I've never, I've never seen that. I've never seen where both people are, are growing and they're mature believers and they're, they're going to God's word and they're praying. I've never seen two people arguing with each other and I had to play referee and I do that periodically. I've never, I've never seen it where both of them leave and say, no, there's no agreement. There's no, there's no, why? Because they're both operating with the wrong kind of wisdom. I've never had to deal one-on-one with individuals and, and, and after going to God's word and praying and everything and still have them all in a twist over something. I've never done that with a mature believer. I've never had that, but I've had all sorts of, the one reason I pray for, I ask you to pray for wisdom is some of y'all don't know the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Some of the calls we get and discussions that we get, you're just thinking like, what, what on, what on earth? I had somebody contact me one time having a knockdown drag out meltdown because they said that the sermons are not authoritative because they're not preached from behind a pulpit. And you got your little table up there. Those are the words. You got your little table up there. A sermon is not authoritative unless it's preached from behind a pulpit. And, and, and I, I said, well, okay, let's be biblical about it. I see a couple of times in the Bible, Jesus preached from a boat. Maybe I just need to get a boat. Put a boat up here. Some of you donate a boat. And I'll put a boat up here and just sit in the boat. Don't actually bring a boat next Sunday. 
because I'd be tempted. Um, but you get, get in the boat, okay? I mean, you, seriously. And that's a, that's a silly example, but it's, it's true. I mean, this was, this was a real issue for this person. And I just had to tell him, listen, that's not a, that's not a biblical concern. Um, let me give you this one, and then I'm going to move on. I had, somebody, I had somebody tell me at one point in time, came from a different faith background and told me, he said, the reason I'm here at this church, he himself, the reason I'm here at this church is to do everything I can to try to make this church theologically more like what I came from. I'm here to help change your theology. Now, and we would say, biblically, his theology is not accurate. And I just told him, good luck with that, because that ain't happening. We are not going to cease to teach the Word of God as the Word of God is clearly laid out. And he said, oh, yeah, well, I'm going I'm to try. Well, he ain't here anymore. Okay? Listen, I take it very seriously. We're talking about guarding the integrity of God's Word. I mean very, very, very seriously. We don't meddle with that. We do not, we do not alter his word ever, 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 ever. And as long as I'm the pastor, I I hope and pray that you will never have to worry about that. Thirdly, fourthly, fifthly, whichever number we're on, I don't even know anymore. That was free because that wasn't in the notes. All right, real quick. We pray for boldness in our public witness for Christ as the only hope for the world. If you look through the book of Acts, it's amazing what you find. The number of times that you find that they pray for boldness. And you find that when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, that is one of the distinguishing marks. They are bold in their public witness. Listen to Acts chapter 4 verse 29. And now, Lord, they've already been threatened. Don't preach Jesus anymore. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What if you were in a prayer meeting and you prayed that the Lord God would give you boldness and the place just shook, that God just shook it like an earthquake? Wouldn't that be awesome? I think it would be. But we pray for boldness in our public witness. That's what they pray for. Paul, and we don't have time to read it, Ephesians 6, 19, verse 19 through 20. Paul asks the church at Ephesus to pray that he will declare the word of God, the gospel, boldly. And notice he says at the very end in verse 20, as I ought to speak. This is what, this is the way it should be done. He's saying, Ephesians 3, 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Why can we be bold? Because our boldness is in Christ. Our boldness isn't in our own intelligence. Our boldness isn't in our own talents. Our boldness isn't in our own personal wisdom. No, our boldness comes from Christ. And if we, through prayer, could just understand how incredibly powerful Christ is, and we could understand how he will transform our lives if we allow him to control them, allow him to work through us and in us, and allow him to fill us by his spirit and use us to the fullest, we don't even, we would even begin to understand the amount of boldness that would come. And I've talked to people before, and I've asked them, like, did you, you know, how about sharing Christ? And they're, well, I don't know if I can share Jesus with them. I'm afraid they might reject Jesus. Well, where are they going to go? 
Hell number two? No. They need Christ and they need Christ's people to be bold and be bold public witnesses. And how does that occur? We pray for boldness. And by the way, it takes courage to pray for boldness. So maybe you need to pray, God, give me courage to pray for boldness. I don't know where all down the line you are, but we pray for boldness in our public witness. And then finally, we pray for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. Back to Matthew chapter 6, Lord's Prayer again, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, we want to pray for kingdom priorities. We want to pray pray for things that are important to God. So let me just ask this, and we'll talk more about this next week. When you look at your prayer life, how many things that do you pray for that are truly kingdom of God oriented, eternal things? Or how many things are the temporal things? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for the temporal things. We should. But by comparison, do we want to pray for the things of God's kingdom? Do we want to pray that God's presence would be known, that he would be made manifest, that his gospel would be known, that his gospel would spread, that, that his, his, his incredible, saving, redemptive power would be known to people and that we would be people who are his ambassadors? Are we praying those sorts of things or are we just praying for this narrow little band? We pray for health issues. I, I've prayed for health issues this week for some people and I've seen God answer those prayers praise god that he answers those prayers those are those are important things to pray for that's not the only thing we pray for we pray for eternal things we pray for kingdom things and we want to pray for the glory of god and the advancement of his kingdom that's ultimately why we pray we pray for the glory of god and we and when god answers prayer do you know the reason he answers ultimately it's for his glory listen to this prayer in first chronicles chapter 29 verse 11 Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Now let me go ahead and say, sometimes whenever we pray and we start our prayer by adoring God and we start our prayer with that adoration and exalting God, If we aren't careful, sometimes we can do that just as a little add-on at the beginning. Like I'm going to pray this to kind of get God's attention, and then I'm going to get to the real prayer stuff, the stuff I need him to deal with. Can I just tell you, if for nothing else, there needs to be times that you pray, times that I pray, times that we go before God, And we will be able to say to God, God, I'm coming to you right now, and I don't want anything. I just want to tell you how great you are. I just want to come to you and just give you praise for how wonderful you are. I want to give you praise for your power. I want to exalt your name. I just want you to know, Lord God, that you are my God. And I want you to know that I know you are a great God. And again, I'm not coming to ask you anything. I'm just coming to give you glory in this prayer. Have you ever prayed those prayers? If you haven't, can I encourage you this week as we enter into these 21 days? Take some time to do that. And you may say, oh, I got too many things to ask for to do that. No, you got too many things to ask for to not do that. Understand who he is. He is the great, powerful, awe-inspiring, omniscient 
king of the universe. Nothing escapes his attention. Give him the glory that's due him in your prayer life. Give him the glory that is due him. That's why we pray. Let's pray. Lord God, we're thankful for prayer. We're thankful for the privilege of prayer. The honor of being able to pray and to come before you and to offer up praise and to offer up honor and to offer up glory. Father, we're thankful that you hear our prayer. We're thankful that you give us your word so that we can know your heart and know your mind and know your will and then in turn pray those things. Father, we pray now that you would go before us in the next 21 days of prayer. As we as a church join collectively our hearts and our minds together, Father, as we, as we seek your face, as we ask for your presence, as we ask for your power to be seen, as we ask for you to convict us of sin, as we ask for you to sanctify us, to set us apart, to grow us in the likeness of your Son, as we ask that you would use us as instruments in your hand, not only as instruments, but as subjects in your kingdom to go out and accomplish your will by your power for your glory. Father, I pray that you would hear, you would answer, you would respond. And most of all, we pray that you would be honored by that. You would be glorified. You would be praised. You would be exalted. And Father, I pray that we as a people would become a people of prayer. And if there are people here, people watching, people here present with us, and they say, I'm already a person of prayer. Lord God, may you take us even deeper into the practice of prayer, into the love for prayer, into the love for your word. Father, I pray that you would do a work in us in the days to come and that we would be transformed. Father, I know there are things you want to do in the next 21 days in the lives of some people here. They don't even know what's ahead. They don't know what the next three weeks looks like but you do. And you have some divine appointments with them on their knees where you want to meet them and speak to them from your word and encourage them and guide them and direct them and let them be able to see you in a fresh way, in a way that, in a way that will have them to respond to you with that honor, glory, and praise and exaltation. And we pray you would do just that in each of our hearts. Father, I pray for anybody here today listening or even present doesn't know you. They've never made a decision to follow Christ. I pray today would be the day they would say yes. Today would be the day that they would say, I want to, I know that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the grave and, and he did that for my sins in my place. And I'm confessing my sins. I'm I'm speaking the same thing about my sin as God, and I am, I am confessing that I need Jesus as a Savior. Today would be the day they would say yes. Father, there may be people who need to come forward and pray here at the altar for themselves, for their families, for their, fa- for their prayer life, for their church. Father, we pray that however it is that you would have them to respond, I pray that each heart would be in tune with you and would respond by your Spirit for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.